and welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka, and this is our co-host. Hey, I'm Aaron. We are coming to you from the post-ice apocalypse here in Houston. We survived, yay! We survived. Um, we hope you enjoyed that special episode last week we intended for Patreon. We didn't want to leave you hanging, so we thought we'd put that out there. Obviously, we couldn't record with the power out. <laughs> yes, indeed. That was a little bit tough. So grateful for our power to be back on. <laughs> yes, very grateful for power and heat and running water. Definitely running water, <laughs> for sure, for sure. All right, well, the case that we have today, I almost passed up because I thought it was something that I'd already heard about a whole bunch of times. Really? Yeah. The case we're doing today centers around a family whose last name was Lisk, as in L-I-S-K-E. Right. And when I first saw it, my brain immediately thought of John List. Because there's a few similarities in a way between John List's annihilation of his family and then, like, leaving versus the adult son who is going to commit the crime in the case we're talking about today. And so I kept seeing these cases come up and I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that's that really famous case. But no, this is a different case. And it's in my favorite time of year. Is it is it fall? It is in the fall. It's in spooky season on the spookiest day of all, which is Halloween. Oh, nice. Yes. Now, I could have saved this for Halloween. It's been in my queue. But I thought, no. We all need a nice little spooky weekend. And I want to start our Thursday off with this spooky tale. Nice. I am excited. Today, we're in Ottawa County in northwestern Ohio. Specifically, the unincorporated city of Martin, Ohio, in Clay Township. Now, I got a little confused because there's a lot of cities and townships, and they seem to all overlap over there, um, which is weird because it appears to be a fairly rural area. Um, I'm not sure why they had to divide it up so many times. I get the impression it's because people don't want to live in an official city, so there's a bunch of little unincorporated areas that have their own thing going on. Yeah, that, that would get confusing. Definitely. Clay Township itself is a fairly small area, boasting just over around 5,000 residents. So keep in mind that Martin would be a fraction of those. That kind of gives you an idea of how rural that it is. Right. Yeah, very rural. The first few photos you'll see of Clay Township include a police pit bull canine unit and photos of the police responding to various crime scenes. So, maybe not the best representation of their town. Yeah, not the best advertising for, for the town, you know. It, may, maybe maybe it doesn't give me the, I want to move there vibe, you know. No, I think it has the same situation going on as that rural Pennsylvania area we talked about. Where, where there was infinity murders. Well, that and just people don't take pictures of oh. it. I, maybe they're all off the grid. Maybe that's why they're out in the middle of nowhere. And so they're not interested. It's just like Ron Swanson's. They're not trying to put pictures (laughs) of their cabin on the internet. So there are like definitely are pictures of trees and historic farm buildings and like lush landscapes for the general vicinity of Ottawa County. So it's probably some gorgeous land. There's a lot of farm situations going on. But uh, people are not putting photos of their farm on Google. Yeah, I got you. It's a delete all pictures of Ron scenario. Definitely. Um, Also, fun fact about that dog, Clay Township actually made headlines by adopting the first ever Pitbull canine unit. 
Oh, nice. Definitely. And I don't want the pit bull people to come for me because I don't think we should just be murdering dogs because of their breed or anything like that. I'm not that person. But it does, I think, say something about your police department that you went after, like, the dog that has the most aggressive reputation to be your your canine unit like what's that pitbull supposed to do like <laughs> is he just looking for stuff or is he helping y'all uh with your chases because <laughs> he's, he's out for trouble Danielle. yeah i i it's weird because also the news seem to be indicating that because of how rural the area is and a lot of people use it for vacation cabins they don't have as many murders and things like that and so do they need like a really badass beefed up canine unit to like chase people <laughs> Danielle everyone needs a really badass beefed up canine unit to chase yeah. people and they also need a lot of really big guns for the same reason okay because maybe that's what <laughs> it is we're starting our story on Halloween weekend in 2010 this is a Sunday Halloween year so you have a beautiful Saturday and Sunday to just go hard on some spooky season that's the best kind the ultimate operation is happening here Nice. It's fall in Ohio, so that means cool nights, early sunsets, and brightly colored leaves on the ground. There's a chill in the air, and perhaps the scent of smoke from a fireplace or bonfire. Carved pumpkins adorn front porches, and there's probably plenty of hay for laughter-filled rides around the countryside. But this year, a monster is coming to Martin. A literal monster, not a like a dressed-up costume monster. Exactly. A literal monster is going to be coming to Martin. The Lisk family lived at 7052 North Ohio 2 on 100 acres of farmland. Well, I should say the Lisk Griffin family because it was a blended family home. 53-year-old William Bill Lisk and his wife, 46-year-old Susan Susie Lisk, had three sons between them, two of whom still lived at their home, 23-year-old Derek Griffin and 16-year-old Devin Griffin. These are Susie's children from a prior marriage. Cool. On Saturday, October 30th, 2010, 16-year-old Devin spent the night with his father. The next morning, he attended church, where he sang in the choir. It's not clear if his mother and stepfather didn't attend the same church, or if he just assumed they weren't in attendance that week. But when he arrived home that Halloween Sunday, he went straight to his room for some typical teen boy R&R. He had a date with a video game. Ah, I see. Everything felt fine to Devin. At least it did at first. But then he noticed something wrong. It was 1.30 p.m., and his mother hadn't come to check on him at all. Come to think of it, he hadn't heard from or seen any of his family members. Curious, Devin paused this game and went downstairs to check on his mother. I'm just imagining coming home from basically anywhere and not encountering anyone in your family. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that would be a kind of spooky experience. Although, I mean, I guess different families have different dynamics, maybe. I mean, I don't know. That's definitely true. I, I do have to wonder. I know I saw in her obituary, I believe she went to a Lutheran church. Maybe it's possible that they went to a different church than his dad. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like the area is big enough to have a lot of churches, but 
I mean, I know from growing up in a small town myself, um, sometimes you'll have more churches than people, <laughs> it feels like. <laughs> I don't know how they have that many churches. Hey. Um, there's one for everything. You can, the, people will just decide they have their own thing they want to do. Like, oh, we want to wear polo shirts and not suit shirts. So we're going to start our own polo shirt church. And <laughs> well, we don't agree with this person. There's a lot of like infighting. No offense to people who go to one of these offshoots, but it's just been my experience in small towns is people getting these like little squabbles over stupid stuff and then feel the need to like start their own church somewhere. And so maybe that's what happened. And that's how spoilers, he actually came home and changed his shirt. We'll get to that. If you came, if you cared enough about church that his dad actually let him go home to get a different shirt. And then he went to church. I'm just going to be honest. If anyone had let me go home to get changed, um, none of my clothes were ready. Um, all of my clothes were dirty. I would have skipped. I know myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I woke up multiple times before the alarm at my parents' house when they wanted us to go to church and then didn't tell anyone <laughs> in the hopes that we would miss it. Um, it's who I am as a person. Um, and so I was the fact that he's that dedicated makes me think that they must be like super into it. So wouldn't you ask questions if your family wasn't there? You would think so. And I think they must have gone to a, a different church maybe because maybe that maybe he assumed they were already at church and then when he got home he was like okay they're they're still at church yeah that that could make sense too yeah they did not interview the teen about what happened with this so we don't know for sure but i do th- find that it would be super eerie to just be sitting there at your house having a chill day and then be like wait a minute <laughs> something's weird <laughs> be like where are all the people i feel like it's like when you outsleep your alarm and then you wake up and you feel great. And you're just like, oh, man, this is the best day. And then you're just like, why is it so sunny? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe like a Kevin and Home Alone situation where, like, you wake up and you're like, this is great. And then you're like, wait. Is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Devin went downstairs where the master bedroom and some of the other bedrooms were to find his mom. And he opened the door of the master bedroom. And probably breathed a sigh of relief when he saw the forms of his stepfather, Bill, and his mother under the maroon comforter on the bed. However, there was something odd about how they were sleeping. The blanket was pulled up all the way over their heads. Devin spoke to his mother, hoping to wake her, but she didn't stir, so he crept closer, moving deeper into the dark room. Then he saw it his mother's foot sticking out from the end of the dark red comforter. He reached out and shook it, hoping to wake her. Still, she didn't move. Devin continued moving toward the head of the bed, steadily talking to his mother. When he reached her pillow, he forced himself to pull back the covers just a bit. It's a prank, he told himself. It has to be a prank. On his mother's bed, her pillow lay there soaked in blood. But it couldn't be real, right? Someone was playing a Halloween prank on him. They must be. No, Devin realized. The truth punched him in the gut. His mother was dead. The sobs shook through him then, and he ran out of the room to get help. He called his Aunt Laurie, and she called 911. According to the Columbus dispatcher, Laurie Morse, Susie's sister, told the 911 dispatcher the following, quote, my nephew came home and there's blood everywhere, unquote. Police entered the home and found a nightmare. Bill, Susie, and Derek all sustained severe head trauma while lying in their beds asleep. Blood soaked through their pillows and bedding. 
They determined that Derek died first. His killer bashed his skull in with a claw hammer using both sides of the hammer. Jesus, that's gruesome. Definitely. That's really, that's really gruesome, man. These people got to stop with the hammers. I agree. This was how he committed, the killer committed the first murder. He bashed the skull in. The boy's head was turned away from the doorway area, um, like facing a wall. So it, they believe he was asleep and the killer just sort of crept up behind him. When he was finished killing Derek, the murderer went to the master bedroom and continued the crime. He went to Bill's side of the bed first. Bill lay there peacefully sleeping, unaware that a killer stood beside him. Placing the gun barrel one to two feet away from Bill's head, the murderer fired five shots. They struck his head and face, and initially... It was so bad that the police and other authorities weren't sure if the people in the house were killed with a blunt object or gunshots. And it wasn't until later that they knew that Derek died from the hammer and some of the victims were shot. Man, that is crazy. After killing Bill, the killer walked to the other side of the bed where he held the gun close to Susie's head. He shot her three times. Then he moved the body. At some point during the attack, the killer sexually assaulted Susie, but authorities were unable to determine if she were alive or dead when the sexual assault occurred. That is messed up. It's a thousand percent messed up. After the attack, the killer pulled the comforter up over the couple's heads, and later police determined that the two had been killed with a twenty-two caliber gun which I did look up because I wanted to know if that was a handgun or a rifle, but I'm under the impression that it can be either. Yeah. I mean, normally I've, I've seen a twenty two in the context of it being like a like a, a rifle, right? But, I mean, that doesn't – I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not a gun person, That is guys. what I thought, but the first <laughs> result that came up with, like, was a handgun. So, at that point, I just kind of threw my hands up and was like, twenty two caliber gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gun people <laughs> right yeah you, you, you can tell that i'm not a gun person yeah you know, my, my dad might be a little bit ashamed of that he might be like i taught you better than that that's that's not how my dad sounds I'm <laughs> he's sorry. gonna get you if he if he listens to this i know i'm sorry dad <laughs> on the first floor of the home police found a clue to their killer pretty much immediately because there were blankets on the couch that looked like an improvised bed Someone else had slept in the Lisk home on the night of the murders. The killer wasn't just some stranger who crept into the family home on Halloween to butcher the entire family. No. The killer was Bill's adult son, 24-year-old William B.J. Lisk. What? Wait, wait, wait. Hold mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. That's, that's terrible. I'm... It is terrible. That's terrible. I mean, Surprise. That's why I didn't tell you about this before. Yeah. I didn't tell you about BJ before because I wanted you to be like, what the fuck? When you found out about it. Yeah, for real. So like, not only does he kill his stepbrother and his and his dad, he also sexually assaults his stepmom. Mm-hmm. That is fucked up. It is incredibly fucked up. That's so fucked up. Now, you're probably wondering, why did they go straight to BJ, right? Because he doesn't live in the house. Right. Well, Devin, the son who found the bodies, confirmed to police that he'd actually seen BJ in the house that morning at around 9.30 a.m. 
Because, if you recall, I did mention that he stopped by the house to change shirts to go to church. Yep. And when he went to the house and ran inside, he encountered BJ. Oh, no. He, like, encountered him, like, probably while this guy was in the middle of his crime, I guess. Or most likely afterwards, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Okay. Um. So, he did encounter BJ, which is just so scary. I feel like this is the most chilling part of the story if we didn't already know that Devin was okay then it would be, ugh. Yeah. Anyway, so he Devin goes in there to get the shirt. The, Devin goes in there to get the shirt, and he reports to the police that BJ seemed uncharacteristically happy and upbeat. Normally, he was kind of a gloomy guy, but he seemed to be just up in the air, excited that time. And also, BJ asked him, some questions that Devin thought were a little suspicious because he kept asking him what he was doing there, how long he was going to be there, and, like, how long he was going to be gone. Yeah. And so, remember, BJ doesn't live in the house, so Devin's kind of like, this feels kind of weird. I just want to get out of here. He had somewhere to be. So he was only in the house for, at most, five minutes grabbing this shirt. It's, it's a good thing, too. If he'd stuck around, mm-hmm. he might have, you know... Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Yeah, thankfully, BJ didn't attack him. And I have to just wonder if it has something to do with Devin just being the youngest member of the family. Because he did kill Derek. And Derek was the 23-year-old stepbrother. And there are people who mentioned in, in, like, reports after the crime that Derek and BJ did not get along together. And Derek really didn't have any patience for, like, being involved in situations where where. BJ was going to be there. And again, since they were around the same age, it seems like maybe they just had more conflict with each other. And maybe the fact that Devin was eight years younger than BJ, maybe he just didn't view him in that same way. Yeah, that could be. That makes sense. Or maybe he just already got all his rage out and was feeling too good to kill the little little brother. That too. After Devin left, BJ fled the crime scene himself in his father's truck, heading up to a family cabin. Despite the horror of a son massacring his family and sexually assaulting his stepmother, the crime wasn't exactly a surprise to the people who knew the Lisk family. Really? Yes. The younger Lisk, it turns out, had problems. He had a history of mental illness that plagued his life, and the murders weren't his only run-in with the law. Worse, BJ had a history of threatening his stepmother, Susie. He hated Susie for reasons that are all too common. When she married Bill in 2001, she set new rules for a then 15-year-old BJ. He'd been skipping school and acting out since his parents' divorce, and she wanted to help him get back on the straight and narrow. But BJ had other ideas. He sank deeper into the darkness, becoming withdrawn and violent. Despite these actions, Bill Lisk continued to love BJ and attempted to help him. 
In 2002, 16-year-old BJ was on house arrest when he told his father he wanted to hurt himself. Bill called the authorities for help, but BJ attacked the officers when they came to help him. In response to this incident, authorities charged BJ in juvenile court for assaulting a police officer, and this began his unfolding criminal record. Uh-oh. Another key incident occurred in 2004, which is about six years before the murders. A then 18-year-old BJ attacked his stepmother with a coffee cup and took her car keys. For that incident, he faced charges of assault and robbery. However, the charges were eventually dropped. There seems to be a recognition uh, with Bill that it wasn't okay for BJ to act this way towards his stepmother, but they both appeared to struggle with actually providing some sort of legal consequence for him. In this case, they might could have gone forward with charges, but I think it was just too hard for them. I mean, he is their son. I mean, she's his stepmother, but she's been in his life for a while. So I think it was hard for her to put him in jail for something. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, it's uh, I, I can definitely understand that instinct, but I think it probably came back to bite him in this case. Definitely. Um, And we'll see that they did everything. Like, honestly, I really feel like these parents tried so hard. This is more of a, just a pure tragedy in a way. Because Bill loved his son so much and, like, sacrificed so much and did so much to help him. And it's not a situation where they didn't try to get him help, which we will continue to see. They did every single thing you could possibly imagine to try to help this kid. I mean, they took him to get services. They bailed him out when he did the wrong thing, but in, like, a way that was safer. Um, It'll make sense in a moment when I continue, like, his trajectory. But they really did try to get him the help he needed. Yeah. Um, So not only does he have these criminal charges, the neighbors around the lists accused BJ of torturing and killing their pets. Oh, that's always a red flag. Definitely, and including at least one dog that he allegedly shot. So it was clear that something was wrong with him, and the family became afraid. Well, everyone except for Bill. He just couldn't believe that his only son would ever hurt him or anyone he loved. So no matter how many times BJ physically assaulted him, Bill always believed his son could be better, that they could be a loving family again. Eventually, BJ went to live in a group home, but that didn't mean his father gave up on bringing him back to their house. Um, I think it's important to note that he was kind of in and out of group homes, and that's partly what I mean with trying to get him help. Like, there were times when Bill recognized, I'm not able to give him what he needs, and also he's dangerous around my wife. So they did have him out of the house for most of that time later in his life when he got so dangerous but despite that like he didn't want to just drop his son off at this group home and then ignore him so he would go and visit and try to invite bj to do stuff like father-son stuff especially Um, during this time though he was again arrested for assaulting his father after bill came to pick him up to do something together jesus Yeah, so he physically beat on his father to the point that the police had to come and arrest him. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So at the age of 18, Bill officially kicked him out of the family home because of another incident. That incident occurred 
when Susie was in the shower and BJ went in and attacked her. Jesus. That was the last straw for all of them. Yeah, no no wonder. I mean, like, that'd be the last straw for me, too. So, after the age of 18, he was officially out of the house. But, again, Bill had not given up on him. And in February 2006, Bill filed for guardianship over his then 20-year-old son, hoping to get him the help he needed. By that point, it was clear BJ was struggling with mental illness, but he didn't like taking his medication. He preferred to self-medicate with pot and alcohol. Then, in 2007, BJ entered treatment for schizoaffective disorder bipolar type. According to the National Alliance on Mental Health, this condition typically involves symptoms of schizophrenia, specifically hallucinations and delusions, along with symptoms of a mood disorder. So it's not exactly the same as having schizophrenia. It's also not the same as having bipolar disorder. What it means is that someone's having some symptoms that are like schizophrenia without being schizophrenia, but also it can be either a depression, like depressive, in which case they're mostly depressed, or bipolar, in which case they sometimes have manic episodes. Yeah. It sounds like a really bad condition to have. I mean, just bad in terms of like just being kind of miserable. I mean, uh-huh. yeah, it does not sound like a disease I would want to have. No, 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 not at all. Um, People with schizoaffective disorder may experience symptoms like depression, disorganized thinking, mania, hallucinations, delusions, and when they're manic, they may also experience racing thoughts, disorganized behavior, and risky behaviors. So, as you can see, BJ was coping with kind of a big big thing on his shoulders. Yeah, he had a lot on his plate. I mean, again, not accepting, it doesn't, it's not like making it okay for him to commit these crimes. Of course not. At the time of the murders in 2010, BJ was living in another group home, but his father still played an active role in his life. In fact, Bill took the week off before the crime scene so he could go deer hunting with BJ. And that is why BJ was actually in the home that night, because they had just come home from this hunting expedition and were having a Halloween party with friends and family. I mean, that sounds nice, except for the murder part, I guess. Yeah. Um, also, I'm not sure that shooting guns at animals is the best way to spend time with your violent son. That's a very good point. That part really stood out to me. Like, obviously, none of these victims deserve any sort of blame at all. And, like, how would he foresee this happening? It's just that when you have a son that has displayed this level of violence and has some problems with, like, knowing what's real and what's not real... And also has had people complaining that he may have killed their pets. It is a little bit weird to me that his hobby idea was, let's go shoot things. Yeah, that's probably not the person you want having a gun. No. Now, I feel like we hear that a lot in these crime stories with people. (laughs) It's like, why do people keep giving them the guns? That's Yeah, well, because there's not enough background checks i guess i don't know that that would help though because bill was fine like he was great like he he's a other than letting his son use the gun everything else about him says good gun gun owner that's and i feel like there's no way aside from just asking do you have anyone in your family that has mental severe mental illness that you plan on letting use this gun i mean i guess that could be a question but i feel like there's a disconnect sometimes with these parents when they let their kids have access to these guns when they shouldn't have, because I don't think they're doing it like callously in a way. 
I don't think that Bill was like, oh, yeah, like, I know my son's violent, but ha, 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 whatever. Mm. He probably thought that his son was in a good place and that everything was fine. And I think that since they live out in the country, that I also wanted to mention that. I think with, since they live out in the country, this is a common activity out there. And this would probably be a way of life for Bill. Yeah. And he might not even put two and two together that it might not be appropriate for someone that has problems. Yeah, that makes sense. That sounds very, yeah. very likely. I think it's especially hard for people who responsibly use firearms and responsibly go hunting and things to recognize that just because they themselves are responsible and have like healthy thought patterns about it doesn't mean that every person does. Yeah. I think that's true with everything, not just with guns. There's, like, lots of stuff. Um, It's the same thing with, like, I'm just going to throw this out there, like, pageants. Uh, People who like to do pageants with their kids are doing it in a non-creepy way. But there are definitely people who are creepy. And it's hard to, I think, sometimes recognize that something that is really cute and adorable to you might turn out creepy for someone else. Yeah. And so it's, like, being mindful of that sometimes. Like, you can't control what someone else does. And you definitely shouldn't live your life in fear or in a way that you're curtailing your behavior because someone else might be a pervert or a murderer or whatever. But at the same time, it's like being mindful of it so that you're, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So you can make positive choices. Yes, make good choices, people. Like, don't give guns to your mentally ill family member. Yes, indeed. I mean, not that all mental illness is just, like, a reason to not have guns. You know what I mean. I feel like you guys know what I mean. If your family member is, like, murdering cats, like, that person does not need help with the murders. Yes, exactly. Make them work hard for those murders. Also, maybe report them for the murders. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, ideally they would not do it. But, I mean, you can't control people. That's true. Father and son returned from this hunting trip on Saturday, November 30th in the evening. It was Halloween weekend, so of course, they joined some friends for a few beers on the farm. Of course. At this beer party, I want to point out that Derek, the 23-year-old stepson slash stepbrother, did not attend. And that was most likely, according to sources, because of the fact that BJ was there and they did not get along. So that's partly why I think that he may have targeted Derek in the attack because he just didn't like him. Yeah, that it seems like they, they really had some bad blood there. Mm-hmm. This Halloween gathering ended around midnight and the friends returned home. However, Bill realized at this point that he was maybe just a little too tipsy to drive BJ back to his group home. So he made a fateful decision. Despite banning BJ from sleeping over at the Lisk house, he allowed him to stay the night with them on Halloween Eve. Hours later, BJ turned his gun on the family. Police believe he killed his stepbrother, father, and stepmother at around 6.30 a.m. because a neighbor heard shots at around that time. This would have been about three hours before Devin came home. So it's highly likely that the family was already dead in the house when Devin came home to change his shirt. Man, that is so creepy. That's so creepy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So at this point, pretty early in the crime investigation, police have their suspect. They're pretty sure he did it because pretty much every single person in the Lisk family's life is just like, it's BJ. Here's what happened. You know, the people that were at their house were some of them were like close neighbors. Even though they had all this land, they had a few neighbors in that area. 
And those people were able to say like, yes, BJ was at the house last night. We know he was. We know that Bill didn't take him back. So the police start hunting for BJ right away. And on the same day of the murders, they located him 170 miles away at the family cabin in Carroll County, Ohio. When they found him at the cabin, police allegedly found an uneaten Subway sandwich that he had just bought. And he was just kind of like casually there at the house, just being creepy. Just hanging out. Just hanging out. I don't know what he would have done had they not immediately come look for him. I mean, he had his father's truck. I don't know if he planned on staying at this cabin and just trying to like live there or if he was just going to continue driving. Like, I, I don't know if he had a plan or not. But the fact that he left it all and like got lunch and stuff suggests to me that he was like hoping to either spend some time out there or to even just like get away. Yeah, it sounds like he just thought, like, hey, he's just going to go about life like normal. Mm-hmm. After his arrest, police charged BJ at first with just the murder of his father, not because he wasn't going to be charged with the other murders. They just needed to get the ball rolling to keep him in custody. Um, and they held him on a $1 million bond, but later his belt increased to $3 million when authorities added charges for killing Susie and Derek. Initially, prosecutors planned to seek the death penalty for the slayings. Um, they were pretty um, not, they were not having it, Aaron. Yeah, they're not playing around. They really were not. And I don't really agree with the death penalty in this case just because of the mental illness part. Also, again, really, we've talked about this, don't really agree with the death penalty in general. I just understand the reasons why people support it. But I think with his mental illness, it's it becomes a problem it's just such a horrible crime that affected the family so much. I think that's why the prosecutors were like, fuck this. We're just going to do the death penalty. Yeah. Um, the defense, on the other hand, planned to argue that Lisk was insane. BJ underwent psychological assessments and a competency hearing to make sure that he could stand trial. And doctors did agree that he had a mental illness. I mean, he had been in treatment for so long at this point. I don't think there was any doubt that he had some sort of mental illness happening. Yeah. Additionally, on the night of the murders, he had been drinking, which might have interacted with his medications um, that he had been taken, taking to treat the mental illness. Sorry. Additionally, on the night of the murders, BJ had been drinking, which might have interacted with the medications he'd been taking to treat his mental illness. Still, the doctors found him to be mentally sane at the time of the murders and competent to stand trial. Good. This is kind of where I was at with the whole sexual assault thing because I feel like the in order for him to have been deemed insane, like he'd have to know that what he was that he would have to not know that what he was doing was wrong for one reason or another. And since he'd been like repeatedly trying to attack Susie in particular, it just seems like this was his best opportunity to hurt the people he wanted to hurt the most. Yeah. And to hurt them in the way he wanted to hurt them. And I think that's what, where it breaks down for me because parts of the crime had to be premeditated, at least the killing of his stepmother and his father and the fact that he was able to quietly creep around the house because, you know, he waited till he went to sleep. He snuck up on Derek first, hits him with that hammer, realizes the hammer is ineffective. It also makes me think of maybe he just wanted to take out that rage on Derek. Like maybe he was jealous because Derek was living the life that he wanted. Yeah, I could see that. I mean... They're about the same age. Yeah. I mean, hitting somebody with a hammer is a lot of rage. Yeah, it really is. And it's supposed to be both sides of the hammer. That's, what the fuck? I know. That's really messed Definitely up. what the fuck. And so, and then to like also sexually assault the stepmother, just on top of all of it, it's, 
what is what are you doing like yeah, that's just that's, uncalled that's, for and just no yeah, it's horrible it is and like it it seems to be like a power thing too because like he repeatedly assaults her like the shower assault too to make it feel has a sexual vibe to it because obviously in a shower you were naked so it just kind of makes me think that he wanted to like dominate her in a way because he didn't like that she had come into his life in an authority figure role yeah. Which is so weird because everything everyone said about her was so positive that she was such a good person and that she genuinely cared. Like, when she tried to be his mom, she wasn't trying to be mean to him or, like, be rude to him, like, or punish him or anything. She genuinely, like, wanted to help him and make his life better. Yeah. And, like, obviously, there were some mental illness aspects that prevented him from recognizing some of that. But I don't think it's reasonable for him to have assaulted her the way that he did and how how often he did. Yeah, for real. It seems... It does seem unreasonable. On September 12, 2011, Lisk pleaded guilty to three counts of aggravated murder. The court sentenced him to three life sentences with no chance of parole. At his sentencing, he apologized for the murders and gave an explanation for what happened. Sort of. He blamed his mental illness, which is understandable even though I don't think that's the only thing that was happening there. And of course, who else did he blame? Dun, dun, dun. Satan. Oh, he blames Satan. It's Satan's fault. Oh, of course. Satan's always popping up over here. Um, I think that's actually what I why I originally was looking at this case because you know I like it when people try to do supernatural stuff in their stuff. Yeah. And he was just like, boom, Satan. Believe it or not, Satan. Yep. He is quoted as saying, quote, I love my dad very much, and it makes me feel sick every time I think about what I did. I can't really explain why this all had to happen. But I think most of all of it had to do with my mental illness. He also did ramble on a bit about how the devil tries to get you, how Satan tries to influence people, um, that people connected to him kind of blaming Satan for all of it. I don't know where he got that from. I kind of wonder if it has something to do with maybe funneling his interpretations of his mental illness through the lens of like religion. Yeah, I could see that. Or it could just be that he said that. I I think I believe him, and there's a reason we'll see in a minute. I think I believe that he was, like, tormented over it. I just don't know. I just don't know if he really fully explained how he snapped. I think he might have had a better case if he would have just told people what made him snap. Or maybe he just wanted to do it. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. I mean, I feel like with a lot of these cases where someone, like, remember the girl who stabbed her father when she was having a psychotic break? Yeah. Like, a lot of them afterwards when they're either not in the break or just when they're on their meds are able to kind of articulate what they thought. I mean, I've been in a psychotic episode before, just being honest. Um, and there was like some awareness about afterwards about what I was thinking. And I just, I don't know. I feel like he would know what would the trigger was, even if it was stupid. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Or even if, like, he thought he hallucinated Satan being like, you must kill them. Yeah. You'd think you could differentiate. Susie's sister, Laurie Morse, the same person who made the 911 call, said in a response to all this, quote, I will never get the events of that day out of my head. Our family has suffered an indescribable loss. BJ tore our hearts out and destroyed our family's happiness as we knew it. We feel such crippling grief. We will never hear Susan's laughter or see Derek smile again or feel a bear hug from Bill, unquote. Despite his life sentences, B.J. Lisk spent less than four years in prison. 
On March 31, 2015, BJ took another life in Ross Correctional Institution, his own. He was 29 years old. So that is where our story ends, with our killer dying in prison by his own hand, which is why I said that I do think he was tormented by his mental illness. And I almost feel like, based on his entire history, they might should have sent him to a mental institution to serve out his time or even just to be in treatment indefinitely um, instead of having gone through just like the regular trial and like putting him in jail because he clearly had severe mental issues. Yeah. It would have been nice if he could have gotten some help that he deserved or not that he needed, you know? Yeah. It's kind of hard because I know what he did is so awful like, there is a part of you that wants to be like, does he deserve help? I don't know if he does or not. But the fact that people just, that we we as a society just kind of let him languish there in prison was probably not good either. Yeah. I think we kind of have to ask ourselves not so much, like, what people deserve necessarily, but what we think is best as a society. Yeah. And, like, even if, I don't necessarily think they should ever let him out because I don't know if I'd feel safe. Um, That's not, I know that not everyone agrees with that kind of thing, but it's incredibly hard to sustain like your mental health when you have issues that are as severe as that, that he did murder his whole family. But at the same time, I don't think letting him torture himself in jail was the answer. Agreed. All right. So that was our Halloween and February episode. I hope that you got something out of it. And I know that I did. I thought that it was interesting that all this went down Halloween. It's just something, maybe that's what it was that triggered the crime. Could be. Just the, yeah, just feeling like the universe was like arranging for it, which is not what was happening to be clear. But I could feel, I could feel like I could see like if you were in the middle of an episode thinking, oh my God, I'm right here. The universe is preordained this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I should do this horrible thing. Thanks universe. No, no. All right, people, thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week. If you would like to interact with us in real life, we are on social media um, at Bad Axe Pod on all platforms. We are most active on Instagram. Please visit us there. Leave some comments, like some photos. We have um, some regular posts that we put up. If you would like more exclusive, fancy, exciting content, or if you would just like to support the podcast, um, we would love your support. You can visit us on Patreon at Bad Axe Pod. Also, if you have some feedback or questions or case suggestions, we have an email. And that email is badaxpod at gmail.com. I know it's a surprise. Yeah. Pretty much anywhere you go with Bad Axe Pod, we are there. That's right. <laughs> I was on top of that. Um, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for being amazeballs. Bye-bye. Bye.